If you have your Bibles with you this morning and you want to turn to Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. That's where we will be this morning. We are in our second week of our our series we're doing called The Celebration of the Incarnation, where we are going through the themes of Advent, looking at what God has done for us, uh, looking at these different ideas. Last week we looked at the idea of hope, the hope that we need to have in God, and our, our hope must be found in God, and that's the only place where we can truly have hope in our lives, hope that lasts, hope that matters, and hope that is sure. Now this week we're going to be looking at the idea of peace, and we're going to turn to Philippians 4, 6-7 through 7 for that in a moment, but I want to challenge you as we do this, and really in every sermon, every Bible study you go through, you really need to do everything you can to connect all of the truths of Scripture together. Okay, I want you to think about the game Jenga that you might may have played as a child or seen played, or maybe, maybe you're going to play it today. Maybe it's your favorite game. But think of Jenga. If you start to take things out, what happens? It begins to get unstable. We cannot focus on or have or, or, or look at one part of what God teaches us without having the whole and believing and knowing and trusting and resting on the whole of it. And so if we look at the peace of God, we first have to understand the hope of God that we talked about last week. Our hope must be in God for us to have the peace of God. So as we look at this, as we begin to read that, I want you to think about that, have that in your mind as we read Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't worry about anything, but in everything... Through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the ability and the the opportunity we have to gather here this morning. The ability to come and worship You, to, to sing Your praises. God, we thank You for Your Word, for for Scripture that we can look at and and see what You expect of us, see what You call us to be, and and also what You offer to us. God, I pray as we look at the idea of what Your peace is and how we can have Your peace, that the Bible says surpasses all understanding, You would help us to focus on You, help us to see Your Word, help us to see ourselves, to see who You are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're looking in the book of Philippians about this idea of peace with God. Now, when he wrote the book of Philippians, the apostle Paul was actually in chains. In the first chapter of this book, he says, hey, what's happened to me? I'm in prison. I know you're not very happy about it. I'm not really very happy about it, but it's actually served to advance the gospel. It's a good thing I'm in prison. It's a good thing I'm in chains because of the gospel which is why he was in prison, because he was preaching the Word of God, that's a good thing. It's in the context of this that he is talking about peace with God. So I think that's it's important to know. We're not looking at someone who's got everything going exactly the way we might think you would want it to go. He's in prison for his faith, and yet he talks about the peace of God. The very first thing he says, it's a very difficult thing, the first three words, do not worry. Do not worry. 
In Scripture, we are called not to worry, or in some translations it says, do not be anxious. We are called not to worry about anything. And that echoes what Christ says in Matthew 6.25, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Do not worry. What does it mean to worry? What is worry? Anxiety or worry is the fear or dread of future events. It's the fear or dread of future events. So if something may happen, we can worry about it. Okay? So worry is not something that has happened or, or is happening right now. That's a, very, that's a different emotion. Uh, I, I've heard it said that worry is, is about things that will come and depression is about things that have already happened. Right, So we can have negative emotions, things that aren't necessarily godly or, or fruits of the Spirit. About We can be very poor in attitude about what's happening now. We can have a poor attitude about what's happening in the past. We can have a poor attitude about what may happen in the future. And this poor attitude about what may happen in the future is worry. Now, before we get into this and, and really dissect the, the anatomy of anxiety or the anatomy of worry... Um, I want to talk about a few things that do not worry does not mean. Do not worry does not mean to have a lack of prudence. The Bible does not call us to lay aside all of our logical reasoning, our our logical abilities and prudence that we might have. Um, Being aware of something and having a level of concern is not worrying. Uh, Deciding that you shouldn't do something exceedingly dangerous is not because you are worried, but rather because God has blessed us with discernment. It is not worrying to lock your door at night. Now, it would be worrying to sit up all night afraid that someone might knock your door in. That's worry. But locking your door at night is simply taking safeguards, taking precautions, using discernment. It's not to worry that you shouldn't jump off a very high cliff with no parachute, no bungee cord. That's just not a very good idea. So it's not worrying to think, well, if I jump off this, something bad might happen. That's discernment. God gives us that. So do not worry does not mean to lay aside your prudence, your your ability to discern what's happening. And the call not to worry also does not mean that you will never face problems. In reality, we see that, that the Apostle Paul is facing problems when he is saying not to worry. And Jesus tells us we will have hardship in this life. It's in spite of the things that may happen, the things that indeed will happen, that we are called not to worry. The circumstances you face do not say as much about your faith in God, but your reaction to those circumstances do. Sometimes people have this idea that if bad things happen to you, it's because you don't have enough faith in God. That is not true in the slightest. Really, It's almost the opposite. If you have more faith in God, Satan will come against you. You will have people that will come against you because you are teaching truth, and you will face hardship. So hard times, hardship does not indicate a lack of faith in God. But where our faith in God is clear is in how we react to these circumstances. When hard times come, when hard times may come, how do we react to those circumstances? That is where our faith in God is seen. So the question that we, need, we, we may ask and, and we may look at is, why do we worry? Why do we have anxiety? Why do we have this worry about the future? 
I think it has various forms. I think it's something that God has given us to some extent. Right? There is a defense mechanism. When, when there is a threat present, our bodies react in a certain way. We, we are aware of what may happen, and that helps us to make sure that we can preserve our life, the life of others. So that is a, 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 pot, a, pos, a part of worry, a part of anxiety. The idea of self-preservation, worrying about what we need is essential for survival. We look in what Jesus said in Matthew. He says not to worry about those things, about what you'll eat, what you'll wear. But worrying, anxiety, that is something that helps us to preserve our life, to keep us from dying. Then we move into other things, superficial things. What do people think about me? What's going to happen tomorrow? And it gets even more insignificant. The reality is is that we live in a world that thrives on getting people to worry, getting people to be anxious about what will come. If you look at the current headlines of what's going on in our world, if you look at the current headlines of what is happening today, it's easy to understand why people live in worry. Right now, the the idea of abortion is before the Supreme Court. Is it going to be upheld? Is it going to be overturned? What does that mean for the future? There was a a terrible shooting in Michigan. There is a new uh, coronavirus variant. There's questions about whether there will be or won't be vaccine mandates. There's global warming that is going to destroy the world, as as people will say. There are addiction and overdose issues. And then there's the things that happen in your life that no one else knows about. Everything in our life is trying to get you to worry, to be anxious about what will happen. What's going to happen tomorrow? Will there even be a tomorrow? When... You turn on the news at night. All you see is the terrible things. Another break-in, another crime, this and that. These things are, are constantly coming together. We are bombarded and overloaded with things that will cause us to worry, to be anxious. So what should we worry about? Paul tells us not to worry, but we should not worry about anything. He says, do not worry about anything. That is a very bold statement. So that means the self-preservation, that means these things we have to have for survival. Where will my next meal come from? These bigger picture things, are there threats that will come against me? What will happen if A, B, C, or D happens? What will happen? Do not worry about anything. So how do we overcome worry in our life? In our, our daily life, there are a lot of things we could worry about that we do not worry about. And ultimately, worry and anxiety can be managed by having a proper perspective. There are many things you do on a daily basis you don't worry about. People die every day in car accidents, yet I would would say that almost every person here drove here today. There are, are risk assessments you make. There are perspectives. There are things you do to prepare yourself. We know we need to eat, but we also know you can choke on food. But we don't typically worry about these things. We take, take um, precautions. We, we do things to help us not to worry. We understand that the risk is so small that, that we really don't need to worry about those things. Worry that we have sinks when we feel that the f- worry sinks in when we feel that the thing we fear may actually come to pass. 
When we have a feeling that, we are, that the thing we are fearing might come to pass, we make adjustments to mitigate the risk. And this change of, in our perspective helps to keep us from worrying. So at the house that we bought, they restored parts of it, and they did some things to keep some of the character. And so it has the original doorknobs on it. But part of that means is there was no locks with these doorknobs. So all of the houses, all of the doors in our house had no locks on them, including the bathrooms. Now you want to talk about some worry or some anxiety. If you've got someone visiting your home, you don't want to be using the restroom while they come in. So do you know what I did? I went to Home Depot and bought one of those hook and loop locks. And now there's no more worry because I know that I have some security. Having a perspective based upon a solid hope allows us not to worry about things. When you feel secure, when you feel like what the bad thing that might happen won't happen, you do not worry. You have a secure hope. You have a secure hope. This is why I mentioned at the beginning, we have to have a hope in God before we think about having the peace that God might offer. Now, this whole idea of having perspective and having the right perspective on things, some people are better at it than others. You may notice in your life there are people that just no matter what happens, they seem to be cool, calm, and collected. They always have like, hey, it's, it's going to be all right. Everything's going to be okay. And then there's people that tend to be more anxious and more worrying, that, that every single thing that happens, they worry about what may happen. No matter where you are on that spectrum of you don't worry at all or you worry all the time, if we don't want to be anxious in anything, we must find a way to majorly shift our perspective. To do this, Paul tells us instead, do not worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. Do not worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. This reminds me of the words of a hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to spare you of me trying to sing it. So we're going to read it, and it's going to be on the screen if you want to read it along. But what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge, take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee, take it to the Lord in prayer. Our solution to worry in this life is a healthy prayer life. Praying to God in faith is an act of trusting and giving it over to Him. A pastor in the 18th century named J.A. Bingle said, Anxiety and prayer are more opposed to each other than fire and water. Anxiety and prayer are more opposed to each other than fire and water. If we are worrying about something, it is very likely we are not also praying about that same thing. We must give it over to the Lord in prayer. In everything, so don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition. I want you to think about this. Through Christ, we are able to boldly and encouraged 
We're, we're boldly able and encouraged to approach the throne of God. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we are encouraged even to go before the throne of the Creator of the universe and present every request we have to Him. Anything you may ask for, He wants you to share it with Him. He wants you to talk to Him. There is nothing too small or insignificant. When I was in fifth grade, I had a teacher that had a poster that said, there are no stupid questions. Now, my friends and I took that as a challenge. Um, And within a few weeks, she took it down. But how good is it to know that no matter what we might ask God, we can rest assured that He desires we take it to Him. There are no stupid prayer requests. There is nothing too insignificant or small to take before your Father. Consider 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your cares on Him because He cares about you. All that we face, everything that we may cause us to worry or fret must be taken to the Lord in prayer. It is what He calls us to do. I think there's also humility in going to the Lord in prayer. It's an act of humility to ask for help. Oftentimes, that's the last thing we want to do. We don't like to admit that we can't do something on our own. Eliza is very much in that stage right now. She does not like it when we open the car door for her or put her in her car seat or buckle her in. She wants to do it herself. And then usually after about five or six minutes through tears, she says, will you help me? We look at that and we just think how silly it is. that. And if you're a parent here, you think about how silly it is when your children, you know you want to do everything for them. You would do anything and everything to keep them from pain, to keep them from dealing with the things they go through. No doubt you probably have told them at some point in your life, anything you need, you can always talk to me. You can always come to me. But too often we see them go through hurt and struggle and pain that they didn't have to go through if they had listened or if they had come to you and allowed you to help. And we look at that and we think, man, why would they do that? And at the same time, we do the same thing with our Heavenly Father. When He says, do not worry, don't be anxious, come come to the Lord in prayer, take it to Him in prayer. Instead, we try to do it on our own merit, we try to do it on our own ability, instead of taking everything to the Lord in prayer. Giving it to Him, the One who is able to do anything and everything. We live in a culture that celebrates strength and being a self-starter. And, and there are, are positive things. These are positive things in certain environments. And, and the Bible talks about how the people who don't work and do their part shouldn't eat. They need to contribute. Hard work is called upon in the Bible, especially interpersonally, people to people. But every time we see our relationship with God, it is always complete and utter dependence on Him. You do not earn your salvation And you will not earn your peace. Your peace comes from God. So take everything to the Lord in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. We are called to be thankful in our praying and petitioning to the Lord. To remember and celebrate all that He has done for us. I think this does two things for us. When we go to the Lord with thanksgiving, it keeps us from acting like spoiled children. About 10 years ago, there was a lot of TV shows I remember seeing commercials for of, of rich families, particularly rich families with kids, and they were always turning 16 in these shows. And every single time you see the commercial, the, the, the kid would be getting a car they had no business getting, a very expensive car, 
And they would open it and it would be this big surprise. They're like, it's the wrong color. These parents had given so much to their children and they receive it with disgust because they're ungrateful. So I think this call to go to the Lord and present all our prayers and petitions with thanksgiving is to keep us from acting like spoiled children, to, to make us remember all of the things that God has done for us. We must not forget or neglect the wonderful things that God has already done for us, that He gives freely, and that we should not take them for granted because we don't deserve any of them. And I think the second thing is that it aligns us with a perspective that is focused on what God has already done. Can you imagine that going to God asking, well, I I really am struggling with this about what's going to happen here. But if you start to think about all the things He's already done, the fact that He saved you from your sin, that He's he's been faithful, and all the things we see in Scripture of His faithfulness, if you start to remember those things and thank Him for those things and the lives you've seen changed, the way that He has changed you and changed your heart, it becomes very... You kind of be like, well, what was I talking about again? What was I worried about? I'm so thankful for what you've already done. Why am I worried about these insignificant things? Why am I worried about this small thing? Now, when I was called to ministry, I was at at church camp. And I was worried about something so silly. I was worried about a a very middle school. I was in middle school at the time. it It was a very middle school problem. And I had the idea, the presence of mind to think, well, I'm at church camp. I ought to pray about it. And what, God, what happened was that God overwhelmed me with the reality that what I was worried about was so insignificant compared to the joy of knowing Him. I think oftentimes we won't ever even have to get to the point of a resolution to our problem because if we know and experience who God is, that's enough. Where is there any room for worry where God is? When He fills our life, fills our heart, where is there room for worry? So it aligns our perspective that is focused on what God has already done. I think for many, a lack of peace does not reflect an unwillingness to trust God, but rather an incomplete view of who He is. There's a, it was actually a series of videos where they took an NBA player, Kyrie Irving, and they dressed him up as an old man. They took him to the place where he actually grew up and played some, some street basketball and took him to these parks where they were playing basketball, pickup games, and, and he just kind of walked on the court acting like he could barely move. And, and everybody's kind of like, what's this guy doing? And then before long, he, he shows and does things that none of them can do. Single-handedly wins the game. They weren't aware of who they were dealing with. And if we're not aware of who we're dealing with when we go to God in prayer, if we're not aware of who it is we're trusting, who it is our hope is in, that's why it's important. Who are we hoping in? What is your hope placed in? Because if your hope is placed in the God of the Bible, there is not room for worry. There's not room for doubt. There is not room for these things because He is so big and so great that there is nothing He cannot do or can't accomplish. So often we are no different than the people of Israel as they're being led out of Egypt to the promised land. We are quite literally like them. They were brought out of the bondage of slavery to the Pharaoh. We have been brought out of the bondage of slavery to our sin. And they were on a journey traveling through a a desert place, a wilderness, an alien foreign land to the promised land that God has prepared for them. And we are walking through this life, this world that is desolate, full of sin, as aliens, as Hebrews tells us, 
waiting for the place that God has prepared for us in eternity. But so often we act just like them. How quickly we forget what God has done for us. For the Israelites, He had set them free from Israel. The plagues that He sent to to convince Pharaoh to change his mind, when Pharaoh even changes his mind again, comes after them, pursues them, the Red Sea is parted and they cross. He sustained them in the desert, gave them food, led them through the desert. And how do they respond to this? They turn to idols. They get the woe is me mentality. They focus on their current circumstances. They allow the thoughts of my life was better before. And then when it comes time to enter the promised land, and then they face this task of it's time to go here. This is what God has prepared for us. They send the spies and all but two say there's no way we can do that. It's impossible. Too often we do the same thing. We turn to idols. We question if following God is worth it. And we cower when we we are faced with the task in front of us. You see, we look only ahead and we forget everything that has happened. They forget all of the miracles that God has done, all of the power that God has demonstrated, the love that He has shown them. So when we go to God in prayer, we must be thankful for what He has done and remember what He has done. Because through what He shows us He has done, He he shows us what He will do again. He shows that He is faithful. The same God who did all these things in Scripture, whatever your favorite miracle is, the same God that did that loves you and wants you to bring your cares and burdens to Him. He tells you to take all of your worries and cares to Him in prayer. Our posture toward difficulties we face must be one of trusting God to taking them before Him in prayer, even when it does not make sense. And if we do this, verse 7 promises the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We see the peace of God. What is peace? What what is this idea of peace? I think there's a couple different types of peace. There's external peace. That's the one most commonly referred to, I think, in today's world. It's the opposite of war. If If there's war, there's strife, there's conflict. Peace is the absence of conflict and strife. You may think of the, the peace symbol and the, the kind of movement that happened before I was born. Kind of, they would refer to them as hippies, and they all had the peace symbol, and everything was all about peace, no conflict. World peace, everything being good. And then there's this idea of inner peace, promoted by spiritual people as a form of enlightenment. And this is characterized by a lack of worry or anxiety. Then I think there's false peace. The idea that everything is all right when really it isn't. That there are no issues when just around the corner, trouble awaits. It's a false sense of security. But what we're talking about is the peace of God. I think this is a combination of both external and internal peace, but primarily internal peace. This idea that no matter what your circumstances are, we can experience the peace of God. Now, it is external in the sense of how we are called to interact with the world around us. Think about Romans 12, 18. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Everything that we do in our interactions with others should promote peace. We shouldn't be people that go and are accusers and tearing down and causing conflict. The Bible is very clear about those things. As far as it depends on you, Live on peace, at peace with everyone. External peace. 
But we also know that that is not always the case. People will come against us. There will be times where the external peace is not there, no matter what we do. And when that happens, we have the internal peace that God gives. The peace that we know where our eternity lies. The peace that we know that we follow the God who is in charge and and over all things. This peace comes from Him and is a work of the Holy Spirit. Comes from confidence in God being the one who's doing the working. And we hear the statement that this peace surpasses all understanding. This is actually a reference to Isaiah 26.3. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. Now, if you're honest with yourself, if we're honest with ourselves, trusting God does not always make sense. But the reality is that, that all that God has done, can do, and will do doesn't make sense to us either. It doesn't make sense that a God who is good and holy would care about sinners like you and me. It's beyond our understanding. We have a hard time forgiving people that cut us off in traffic. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. We don't understand a lot of things that God does, and we don't understand very much about who God is at all. And the good news is that the peace He offers, we won't understand either. It won't make sense to us. It's better than any peace we can give ourselves, any peace that anyone in this world can give to us. It surpasses all understanding. Now, the the hymn that we sang right before the sermon, It Is Well With My Soul. I don't know if you know the story to that hymn. It's a beautiful story. It's a story about the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. The man that wrote its name was Horatio Spafford, and, and he was a, a Christian man, and he lost pretty much everything he owned in the Chicago fire that occurred. And he was friends with uh, Dwight Moody and was going to go to England, spend some time with him. And while he was settling some of his affairs, getting some things in order, his wife and a couple of his children went ahead of him. And the boat sank. They all perished. And as he is going on his journey over to see his friend, the captain brings him to the the deck of the boat and says, this is about where it would have happened, where your wife and children would 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 have passed away. And it's in that moment that he is compelled, and from that moment that he is compelled to write, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well with my soul. That is a peace that comes only from God. That is a peace that surpasses all understanding. When everything in your life has fallen apart, and you can still say, It is well with my soul. Think about Acts 7, 59 and 60. While they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, he fell asleep. Stephen was so sure of his hope in Christ, his eternity, that even facing his death, he had peace. 
And the only thing that burdened him was the sin that was being committed against him. What he was worried about was these, were, were the souls of these men. And he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. His last breath was a prayer for the ones who murdered him. These aren't things we can do in and of ourselves. This attitude of peace, this attitude of love towards others, it comes only from knowing a God that can do these things for us through His Holy Spirit, can empower us to have a peace that surpasses all understanding. His focus was on the eternal, and the current did not worry Him. So the next thing we see is that this peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. This idea is not simply guarding as in standing in the way where you might stand guard. You might just stand there and kind of be the presence. This is the idea of a garrisoned fortress. Protection. A solid wall. A protection around us. Guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If we look at what 1 Peter 1.5 says, you are being guarded by God's power. The same word here. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The guarding of our hearts and minds is in the same security and guarding that our salvation is. Or we believe and we know that our salvation is sure. If we've hoped in Jesus, no one, nothing can take that from us. If we go to the Lord in prayer, if we seek Him, if we cast all of our cares upon Him, the peace that He offers can be taken by no one. Because who can take our hope away? It can be trusted. And the last three words we see will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is the most important thing if you're here today you don't know Christ. Because to have the peace of God, you first must have peace with God. The only way to achieve this peace that we have is to have a relationship with God, to have peace with God. Romans 5.10 tells us that we are enemies with God if, while we were in sin. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by His life? The only way to have the peace of God is to have peace with with God. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came away, came to make a way for the enmity between man and God to be reconciled. This whole idea of reconciliation that we talk about, that the Bible talks about over and over again, how we have been reconciled to God, is the ending of the strife and the war and the, the, the disunity, the, the separation between man and God. Sin separates us from God. Because of sin, we do not have peace with God. The Bible tells us we are enemies with God. It also makes it clear that there is nothing we can do to solve this problem. There is nothing we can do, no hope that we have within ourselves to solve this problem. It is only because of what Jesus did for us that we can have peace with God, that He reconciled us. He made it right. He brought peace between those who would call on the name of Jesus and God. That their sin was no longer going to be held against them, but they had been reconciled 
to God. We spoke about this on Wednesday night in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where it says that, that we are Christ's ambassadors. God's making His appeal through us. Therefore, I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. As we talk about this idea of peace, as we talk about the peace, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the greatest peace you can have this morning if you don't know Him is to be reconciled to Him. All of the difficulties you face, everything in this life that you think is difficult does not compare to the reality of being separated from God. That is the primary thing that you need to take care of this morning if you don't know Him. And if you do know Him, the question that you must ask yourself, the question you must consider is, are you taking everything to the Lord in prayer? Are you allowing your life to be filled with worry? Are you allowing your life to be filled with what-ifs? Or are you taking every burden, everything that you have, and placing it before your Father? Because the God who loves you, the God who created you, wants you to bring it to Him. There's nothing too insignificant or small. And the promise we have is that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. At this time, we're going to stand together and we're going to have a time of invitation. And what I want to invite you to do are one of three things. I want to invite you to worship. This is a time where we can worship our Father. We can worship the One who sent us. If you feel like everything today has been a, a yes and amen, you know that God is the only place where your peace is. You've trusted Him for your salvation. You have peace with God and you are living a life of peace this morning. Praise Him for that. Worship Him. If you know Him this morning, but you have been living a life full of worry because you have been looking at your own power or the power of others to give you peace, repent of that. Take it to the Lord in prayer this morning. Seek Him for your peace this morning. The peace that surpasses understanding. And if you don't know Him this morning, if you do not have a relationship with Him, today is the day, now is the time to lay down your, your pride, to lay everything aside, and to come and respond and say, I want to trust in Jesus. I want to have peace with God that's only available through what Jesus has done for me. Let us pray this morning. Father, we thank You. We thank You for what You have done. We thank You for all that You have done, You are doing, and You will do. God, I pray that this morning we can have a peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, in this room there are many who are, have gone through hard things, who are dealing with hard things. And God, I pray that You would surround them with Your love. You would give them Your peace that does not make sense to the world, does not make sense even to us. God, I pray that if there are any here that do not know You this morning, that they would not fight You any longer, they would not be at war with You any longer, but would lay down all of that and surrender to what You have done through Jesus, the reconciliation available in Jesus, and would realize they are a sinner in need of this, the, what Jesus has done and come to You this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.